We can often feel the loneliness of being separated from our families. The trend to move, travel, and disconnect from our roots is commonplace until something happens and we are reminded how important our past really is. There is no replacing family because, in truth, they are the ones whose genes and history we carry with us every day. Distance doesn't change that. So how do we honor that heritage? I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in today's episode of The Grand Life, we talk with an author and anthropology professor whose mission is to help people find out more about their families by listening and then taking it one step further by keeping a record of what we hear. Because remembering those who are part of our family is all part of digging deep into who we are at our core. Dr. Elizabeth Keating, we are welcoming you to the Grand Life Podcast. Great to have you on today. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I'm really delighted. You are the author of a book called The Essential Questions, Interview Your Family to Uncover Stories and Bridge Generations. Uh, You're also a professor of anthropology focusing on culture and communication at the University of Texas at Austin. Now, we have a lot of Texas listeners. I have to say that's one of the biggest states for us, so they'll be excited to hear you. That's wonderful because a lot of Texas material contributed to this book. (laughs) I did give the assignment of interviewing grandparents to my students at the University of Texas in Austin, and they brought back so many fascinating stories about Texas. Yeah, I, I love the area of anthropology. And for our listeners, could you just explain how, how a degree in anthropology, how that works, what you learn when you become an anthropologist? The key to being an anthropologist is to try to see another person's world from their point of view. So you want to try to step out of your own cultural habits in your own world and try to inhabit the world that they do with their experiences and their perspectives. And it's a very exciting process, but it takes some some concentration, really, to be able to manage it. You do a great job in the book, I think. Um, mentoring people through that process. And of course, that is what you've been doing with your students. So today, as we talk, maybe um, we'll get a little bit more idea of how how we might do that for our own parents. But it's interesting because many of the people who will be listening have lost their parents. They don't have parents anymore because we're grandparents. So um, I'm curious about this. You know, I have a mother who's still alive, 91, dealing with a little bit of mental uh, gymnastics, trying to figure out how she, when she's talking to me, how much she remembers, how much she doesn't remember. And sometimes I feel like I've I've waited too long to ask her these essential questions. Um, You mentioned in your intro that you have made some mistakes in interviewing your own mother. Um, And I think our audience will relate to that because some of us have waited too long. And for this process on our own parents. So I'd love for you to give us your input about what it would be like. Mike and I were talking about this. Would it be okay if we interviewed each other and then gave that as a gift to our children? Or should we wait until our children want to do that? I mean, we feel like in our 60s, we're, we're on it mentally, but maybe won't be later. These are really excellent questions. And the problem is, as you exactly say, that Oftentimes, we don't think about asking our parents these questions until it's too late. 
So in my own experience, it was the experience of loss after my mother died that I realized how much I didn't know about her. And I had interviewed her before she died, but I asked her the wrong questions. I asked her about to fill in the family tree. And then after she died, I realized I really wanted to know a lot more about her. And that's when I used my anthropology training to develop the questions that uh, I did some research talking to people and developed the questions. But you're absolutely right. The idea of interviewing grandparents doesn't really occur to us until later in life when we're, we start to become more interested or have the time yeah. to investigate our families or we're all dealing with, with these losses. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a wonderful idea to interview yourself and to ask yours or interview each other mm -hmm. if you feel like you've nudged and hinted and even asked <laughs> your kids and your grandkids to to become interested in these questions, but it hasn't really worked out. Or even for your own uh, memoirs, yeah. if you will, to leave a legacy. I think it would be a wonderful experience. Yes, I, I have been asked that by other people, actually, and have encouraged them. I want to ask you more about the kinds of questions you suggest we ask, but first of all, you mentioned the importance of culture and its influence on us. And I think many of us believe that if we're all from one country, we all share the same culture. And maybe you could share why that might not be true. Not true at all, especially the, uh, when you consider a country as large as the United States, where we have had so many diverse groups of people have moved to the United States and brought their fascinating cultural backgrounds with them. And there are, in fact, many people in the U.S. who have parents who were born elsewhere. And so they have a very rich cultural background, including practices that might span a great geographical distance. So I've, I've found in my life that every time I make an assumption about someone as sharing aspects of culture that are familiar to me that I'm often surprised by the differences in our backgrounds. And I think it's one of the exciting things about living in the United States. But really, when you live anywhere nowadays, because of travel and globalization, we we know that uh, people are going to be from very diverse experiences. Yeah. And, and when you suggest the questions that you do, it struck me as I was reading them, how much our cultures come through in the answers to the questions. So I'm going to give an example to everybody. Um, I was reading it and I, I was asking Michael, you know, a question that it was a little bit different than one of the questions you mentioned. Um, but I was saying to him, you know, what do you remember when you were a kid and you were looking out your bedroom window? I, I specifically picked his bedroom window. And Mike, we, we can talk about this a little bit, but it was funny because Michael often says he has no memories of his childhood. And when I asked him that question, what did you say? Uh, I said, I clearly remember that uh, there was a barn, the largest of the two at the farm. There was a vegetable garden that I could often look out and see my parents working in. And in the summertime at night, there was the moon. And when it was full, 
I would use a telescope I had gotten for my ninth birthday. See all these little details? I know. My ninth birthday and look at the moon, including the month when man first landed on the moon, which was when I turned nine. And that was oh, even, there so were even good. some more things too. Isn't that great? Yes, yes. What wonderful details. And it's those details of ordinary life that anthropologists are interested in. Sure. Many times people think what counts are the big events in life, but it's ordinary life that we miss when it's gone. Yeah. I mean, your questions are so much better than any of the others I've ever seen suggested in other books. So I am assuming this has to do with your background as an anthropologist. Um I mean, it's it, it's funny because Mike, as a person who likes to do video and audio, has interviewed his grandmother before she passed and his father before he passed. But we did make the same mistakes you're talking about where we were just asking them, you know, typical chronology. <laughs> chronology I was asking stuff. a bunch of chronology kinds of questions. What happened first? Did that happen before this happened? Did she die before him? Mm-hmm. Things like that. And he would volunteer details, but not because we had asked him questions that, that resulted in that. And had we done a better job, we would have gotten a lot more richness, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. And in addition to the richness, what you revealed when you talked about looking out your bedroom window was so much more than just a description of the landscape, mm-hmm. but what people were actively doing and what the relationships of all those activities were to you and to your daily life. Well, I attribute that to the to the nature of the question. Yes, because yes. normally he says, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember anything about my childhood. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. And it tells a little bit about what was happening in the culture at the time and how important that was to him. So you provide tips and questions for your reader about interviewing our relatives. What should be our biggest takeaway from these questions that would be good for us to ask? Biggest takeaway should be that there's uh, that many, many people think that their lives are just too ordinary for anyone else to be interested in. And the mundane aspects of everyday life, like what you see out of your bedroom window, couldn't possibly be of interest. But as you just related, those details tell us about the person, about what they love to do, about their attitudes towards the world, and many other aspects that we long to know about members of our family whose lives shaped who we became. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I remember Mike asking his grandmother about how her mother passed away. And she told us the story of her, what, getting caught under a carriage or something. She was quite young. Um, But there could have been so many other questions we asked around that question. Yes, that's right. That would have allowed you to imagine more about the scene and what life was like back then. Mm -hmm. Because that's what is really fascinating when you hear people talk about the house they were growing up in or some of the other essential questions, questions about their beliefs, questions about kinship, questions about the material culture, the objects that they treasured. All of that fills in those gaps that you're talking about where You want to know more because after someone passes away, what we find is that we really just want to know more and more about what life was like and how that influenced 
them to become who they were. To that end, are there guidelines about how how long you should allow uh, either in total or in at one time when you're doing these and when you're asking these kinds of questions, if you're trying to record it? I found that I just wanted people to go on and on. <laughs> I never <laughs> wanted the sessions to end because they were such fascinating glimpses of history and of culture. But I think you have to regulate it by their own responses. So sometimes if you are talking to older people, they can get a bit tired because remember, they're doing all of the talking Mm -hmm. in an interview situation. In my experience, people are so excited that someone is really interested in their lives that they talk with with a lot of interest and energy for several hours. Yeah. You know, you've broken down the questions into several categories. Was it hard for you to keep it to those you chose? Or did you feel like, oh, I've got this covered now. I, I did exactly the amount that I wanted. Um, so now you've written the book. Are there any categories you wish you had added? I based the categories on the typical categories that anthropology organizes inquiry into another culture. So I looked at space, interaction, time, beliefs, and material culture, identity. I didn't want to give people too many categories because I wanted to encourage people to do this and I wanted to make it accessible. But I think there are still many other categories and many different follow-up questions you could ask. I think in retrospect, I might have asked something about art or Mm. about music Uh because sometimes, or food maybe more specifically, because sometimes these cultural elements, which we might think of as the more formal cultural elements, they can reveal something too about an era and a particular way of aesthetically perceiving the world that might not come out in the other questions. What is it in in more general terms that was valued back then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, some of our most popular um, episodes have been about, we talked about the five senses, taste, uh, smell, hearing, all these, what people remember about their grandparents with these five senses. And I mean, we couldn't believe the amount of input we got from people because that's what they remember the most the food and the music and all of the different things. (laughs) Yes, it can be so generational, too, those kinds of uh, cultural aspects. Yeah, it was very, very fun. I think a lot of people think that when you're talking to someone of a different generation, it's impossible to talk about politics and religion. You know, the old, don't talk about that while you're sitting at the table. Um, But you have figured out a way around that by asking questions that you say, quote, reveal the invisible frameworks that people use to justify their actions. Now, I actually think that was a quote from somebody else that you used in the book. But I love that because it seems to me that This helps us understand the why of people's beliefs instead of just the what they believe. So am I correct in assuming that that's what makes this conversation more achievable and not just like a bad Thanksgiving table conversation that gets heated and where people become defensive? That's right. I tell people in the book that if they come upon a topic 
as they're interviewing, if they hear something that is in contradiction to their own beliefs, that what they should do is suspend those responses and actually ask more about the other person's beliefs and to try to understand more about how they came to perceive the world that way. Mm-hmm. And that's a way of developing, as you say, a better understanding of how people, how people's own experiences have shaped the way that they look at the world. And it's also a way to open ourselves up to different ways of seeing the world and uh, can make for those richer connections between the generations. Yeah, I do agree with this because I feel like it explains to us why people do what they do. You know, it's like I, I can't understand sometimes when I talk to somebody in another generation, why are they, why do they do what they do? Why do they worship the way they do? Why do they uh, approach another race the way they do? Why do they, you know, whatever. And so if you can kind of get into their heads, like you're saying with anthropology, get into their heads, it does help understand, it helps the listener to understand, you know, even if you don't agree with it, you at least understand why they're doing it. That's right. And that empathy and compassion then can generate more sharing between people and help people to to find common ways of approaching those intractable kinds of problems that all societies face. Yeah. Elizabeth Keating, uh, thank you so much for your insights and for bringing this book into a world where we don't often listen to one another or even value what each of us has to offer. I feel certain that this book is going to facilitate relationships between the generations in a more productive way and also in a way that brings us together and helps us appreciate one another more. I I really do love this book. I, I, I think I'm going to be using it as a reference constantly. <laughs> and I, I hope to use it on ourselves. So thank you so much for writing it. And maybe even, maybe you should do a, a second part, like part two with more, with more questions. Have you thought of that? I have. And I love your enthusiasm. And thank you so much for, uh, for that feedback. I have, uh, my biggest wish is for people to actually do this with their families because it's a very, very exciting process and you learn so much. My own students have told me over and over how grateful they were that they had to do this project and how they were able to form better connections with their family members. So I would hope that people would do it. And I, yes, I hope there can be even more conversations as people to understand how to get these conversations going. Yes, thank you so much. And if you have students who are thanking you for doing a, a student project, you have <laughs> you have really figured out. You've got the magic touch. <laughs> yeah, it's the grandparents that are the magic, really. <laughs> they have so much knowledge and experience.
Talking with Dr. Keating was such a good reminder for me of how important it is for me to put myself in the shoes of my older family members. It's easy to dismiss what I hear, but if I do that, I think I'm missing out on a great opportunity to understand them better and to learn from them. If you've gleaned anything that you'd like to share from today's episode, we'd love to know what you found useful. Please let us know by email at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com or by phone through voicemail at 317-572-7876. Have you spent any time talking with your parents and gotten good results from those conversations? Let us know what strategies you have used to interview them. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thank you for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life, it's an update on our assignment as sole caregiver to our toddler grandson.